Praise the Lord. Man, I'm so glad that is true. I am so glad. Thank God. You know, I went to him this morning, and when I did, I went to a throne. A throne of grace. Thank God. Spurgeon said, thank God it wasn't a throne of justice, but rather a throne of grace that I approached this morning. What a blessing that was. And he was on that throne. Praise the Lord. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Mark. To the book of Mark. Thank you for those good worship songs this morning, brother. Help my heart. Mark chapter number 7. I want to welcome the Bard family here this morning. This is Shiloh's mother and father and siblings. We're glad to have you with us in the service today. And we're praying for you and your family. And uh, Brother Nathan, I hadn't seen you since I saw you in Australia. It's good to see you here this morning, brother. Bless you. Mark chapter number 7. I'd like for you to read with me in verse number 14. I've been preaching the past few months on the anatomy of sin. And this morning, we're going to look at what we call the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter. In Mark chapter number 7. You know, we hear about, uh, as I have studied and, the, and preached on the subject, about how sinful man is uh, from the head of his, uh, from, from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. Uh, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, he's like a putrefying sore. He's so full of sin until God saves him and changes him <clears throat> and gives him a new heart and imputes to him the righteousness of God. So we have to deal with these members that we have, uh, the tongue and the eye gate and the ear gate. Uh, but, uh, you know, as I was studying this particular subject, man, this subject is so huge when we start talking about the heart of man. Do you realize that there are 765 verses in your King James Bible on the subject of the heart? And I have looked at most of those this week. You can imagine how much time I have spent on this message and to narrow it down to 45 minutes is going to be tough, but I'm going to do my very best. But I do want you to, to, to understand, I see the heart being very similar uh, to, uh, you know, in the old days when they would um, build these huge, and they're still there, these huge castles, like in Scotland. And uh, usually around the, those uh, castles, they would uh, then dig a moat, and then they would put up a large uh, uh, barrier, or a, or you might say a wall around that moat, and there'd be gates uh, along that wall. And well, I liken those gates like the ear gate, and like the eye gate. And once they opened those doors, then someone could, once they were allowed to come in, then they had access to what I call the castle, which is really the heart of man. And there at that, in that castle is where the heart is going to make the decision if it's going to send that back out the eye gate, back out the ear gate, or if it's going to let it stay in the castle. And so when you look in Mark chapter number 7, Let's read carefully here what Jesus had to say about the heart of man, okay? Then we're going to just take a short chronological study through the scriptures about the heart. I hope I can help you today. I really want to. Mark chapter 7, verse number 14. These are powerful words by our Savior. Verse 14 says, And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me every one of you, and understand. 
There is nothing from without, without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Well, Jesus is really trying to get them to get this, isn't he? He said, I need your ears. I need you to listen to me right here. I need you to understand this. In verse 17 he says, And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. He said unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? I mean, it's like he's chewing on them just a little bit and chiding on them just a little bit. He said, Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth into his heart, Excuse me, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. I came across an excellent quote concerning the heart of man, because you'll find, as I have studied this diligently this week, it's, it's very difficult for me to separate. Man's a mystery to me, how God has made him up. How that the mind and the heart are connected. Many times the Bible refers to the thoughts of the heart and, and the imaginations of the heart. It, it's very difficult to separate the heart and the mind, and yet there are times when the scriptures appear to do so. Very similar to the soul and the spirit of a man. Well, sometimes they seem to be one, and then there are times when the scriptures separate them. And the word of God is so powerful that it can discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart of an individual. This quote said, in the Bible, the heart is the very source of his conscious conscience, of his intelligence, his free personality, the place of his decisive choices. I know that sometimes you think about just the brain doing that, but the Lord looks upon the heart. It doesn't say that he looks upon the brain. It says he looks upon the heart of man. The decisive choices, the place where, according to Romans chapter number 2, inside the chambers of this heart, and again, you got to kind of get away from your mindset that he's talking about a, an organ. We tend to think of an organ when I say heart. And yet, that is what it is at times. But... At the same time, if you had a heart transplant, 
Does it mean then that God takes the consciousness and the thoughts and the imaginations of that individual and then transplants them into you? Can't be done. There's something invisible, mysterious, not imaginary, that's inside the heart of a man. It's the control tower of the gates that we're talking about. The eye gate, the ear gate, the tongue gate. It's the control tower. It's the castle that's inside the walls. And it's really, it's you. It's the real you. That's what we're talking about, the heart. And he said, inside that heart is the unwritten law of God. And the mysterious actions of God take place inside that castle. We're talking about the unwritten law of God. We'll prove that in just a moment. But I need you right now to turn with me to the book of Genesis, if you will. Excuse me. Chapter 7, right here where we are. First of all, let me say this. Would you agree with me that God desires a pure heart? And a heart that is purposed, that would love Him and obey Him? Man can deceive another man. But God cannot be deceived about your heart. And He can determine and see what is in your heart with perfect precision. Now I've had my heart checked many times over the years with machines. One machine can do a certain stage, but another one can go in there and men just, it can just, I mean, just take minute details of the heart. They can take a, a tube and put it in your leg and go up into your heart and take pictures of what you can be laying on the table and you can see what's inside the organ of your heart, see what's going on. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. But when they were doing all that, I was looking for my conscience. I didn't see it in there. And I know, now don't say you ain't got one. I know how you guys think. Don't, don't think like that. But I'm saying that God in His Word examines the heart. And He can see. Look over in chapter 7, verse number 6. Jesus is talking to these hypocrites, these Pharisees. And you'll notice the, first, the last part of that verse. He's talking and calls them hypocrites. He says, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. See, your brain can tell your lips what to do, and your heart not even be in what your lips are saying. You see what I'm saying? And so God wants your heart. And if your heart is toward Him, then it can affect the brain, the thought life, and what you listen to, what you say, and what you do. God is after men's hearts. That is a real you, where that castle is. And so I want you to think about this. Now let's go to the book of Genesis real quick. Look in chapter number 6. I need to... I need to move swiftly here so we can get to the New Testament. I want to leave you some practical things that will help you about your heart. Now, I want you to think about it. If He has our heart, whatever may pass through the other gates can be rejected and sent back out if it's not good. I've heard some things and I said, "Mm -mm, that's not going to stay with me. That's out of here. You ever had thoughts, fleeting thoughts come into your mind and heart and you said, I'm not going to own that. You're out of here. You know, it's sort of like if I'm in my office and I've got the window up and this big black bird flies in the window. Now, i got a choice. I can chase that black bird out the window and close the window. 
Or I can leave the window open, let the bird stay, and before long, here comes another bird, here comes another bird, and then my heart is defiled. You understand the illustration there? And so you have to get those birds out and close the window into your heart. People use this excuse all the time. They say, well, God knows my heart. You don't have a clue what you're saying. You don't know your heart. You don't know it. Your heart is the most deceitful thing in this room. You don't know your heart. Yeah, well, I just follow my heart. Well, you're a fool then. Unless that heart's been regenerated and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're a fool to follow your heart. And I'm simply saying here that God looks upon a man's heart. Look what he says over here in the book of Genesis. I want you to consider how that the adversary, Satan, knew how to get to Eve. He knew which gates to go in to get to her heart. He went in through the ear gate and then appealed to the eye gate. She had a choice. She could have sent that away, but she meditated on it. She thought about it. She was deceived. She believed what he had to say, that it would be better to take this route than to love God and trust Him. She made that decision. And then Adam had to make a decision. He was not deceived. He made a choice. He loved Eve more than he loved God and made a decision. So consider the impact that a few had on a multitude. It was Satan in the beginning, before the creation of the heavens and the earth, the Bible says who was perfect in wisdom and in his beauty, and yet in his heart, he lifted it up and said, I want to be like the Most High. And he fell, and he took that into the garden and used subtlety to deceive man. But man made a choice. That's the thing about God. And that's why I absolutely, I absolutely oppose with all my heart Calvinism. For it takes away really the very heart of this message. That God's given man a heart and God's given man freedom to make choices. God wants not robots. But He wants free will hearts to look to Him and to call upon Him. That's what God wants. I don't see how it even interests God to make something and then make them their choices for them to love Him. I don't see anything in that. But I want you to notice in Genesis 6 that when man fell, the depravity of man is a reality. The total depravity of man, unable to respond to God, I think is a heresy. But I notice in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5, notice this. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty depraved, isn't it? But I want you to see how that The Bible, and listen, there's the law first mentioned here. 
This is where God connects the imagination and the thoughts and the heart together. Verse 6 says, And it repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him at His heart. God have a heart? The Bible says He does. And He said in verse number 7 that He was going to destroy man. But you see, again, here now where that man's heart begins to move away from God. And his from this point forward, God destroys man. And when you get over to chapter number 8, you see how his delinquent children reveal their depravity and how that it's even passed on. In chapter 8, in verse number uh, 21, when God has destroyed the earth and only eight people have survived... God spoke to Noah in verse number 21 and said this, The Lord smelled a sweet savor. Noah's gotten off the boat. He's made an offering to the Lord. And the Bible says in verse number 21, And the Lord said in His heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. So when He brought them over on the ark, He did not remove their depravity. They brought it with them on the ark with their sons and their daughters that would once again multiply the earth. And he says, and so I need you to understand that we are coming, whatever you may think of where you came from, your your ancestors came off that ark. Wherever you trace it all the way back to, eventually they came off the ark. And so we are part of those delinquent children. What I mean by delinquent children, everybody's sons and daughters that are born, everybody in here, your sons and daughters and your grandchildren, did you know that foolishness is bound up in their hearts? Say, oh no, Brother Roger, not my seed. Yes, your seed. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. So when we are born, we're born very foolish. And as a matter of fact, Ephesians 2 says we are by nature the children of wrath. We have in us a spirit of disobedience. So what does God do here now after these folks get off the ark and He tells them, hey, listen, I need y'all to just to scatter and y'all want y'all to be fruitful and multiply. And so they made up their minds, well, we're not going to do that. We're going to stay here. We're going to build us a city. We're going to build us a monument. We're going to build us something all the way to heaven. In chapter number 11, there's interesting statements here. Verse number 1 says, At that time the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Do you agree? Do you agree with what you're reading so far? And so... They, they decided, nope, we're not gonna, we're not gonna scatter, we're not gonna go, uh, we're gonna stay right here and build us a tower that'll reach up into heaven and make us a name. Verse five, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower with the children of men builded, and the Lord said, behold, the people is one, they have all one language, this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Where do you think those imaginations are coming from? From their hearts. So, what does God do? He said, well, let's slow down their destruction. 
It only took them about 1,800 years to get that mess they were in across the flood. He said, let's slow it down. He said, um, the less men can communicate, the less he'll be able to sin. In a multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. So you can see why sin has escalated in our generation. Because you can take something and hold it in your hand, and you can communicate with somebody on the other side of the world. The thoughts and the intents and the imaginations of your heart can be revealed in a few seconds. And revealed to the whole world. That's why sin has begun to abound. That's why sin has escalated in these last days, is man's ability to communicate. Back when I was a boy, we used to read something called a newspaper. We need to bring one of those artifacts and show it to our children. A newspaper. And in that newspaper, they had something called the comics. And there was one in there called Dick Tracy. I mean, way before his time, the guy that wrote Dick Tracy, he had this guy, had a wristwatch. And he was able to talk to the other side of the world and had his image and his pictures on it. Before there ever was even a cell phone. And so here we are. And I'm here to tell you, we're not in a good place. But God said, okay, I know your hearts, I know how you are. Have you ever seen sometimes a bunch of kids get together and you know those kids because they're yours? And you say, uh, it ain't good. We're going to scatter these kids right now. This ain't good. Trouble's coming. We're going to get them out of here. Take this over here. God said, look at this mess. Let's scatter them. Let's fix it. When I show up to work tomorrow, Brother Jacob, that, can you, you go into the tire place tomorrow and nobody can speak anything that even sounds similar. And so God, first of all, He divides their language. And then He divides their land. In the days of Peleg, He separated the continents. Why? To separate man, to slow down his depravity because of his heart. Because of his heart. And so, when you look at this, it's because God's desire was not that He would ultimately have to judge man again, but rather that He might reach man. And when He called Israel out, He said, Look, what I want you to do is just love me with your heart. He said, Just love me with all your heart. That's all I want. Just obey me, listen to me, follow me, and love me. What is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Because if God has your heart, He's got all the other stuff. He's got all the other stuff. So, the Lord has always initiated His grace and His kindness toward man in spite of His heart. Of man's heart. And when God initiates toward man, God then gives man the opportunity to respond to that light and to that love and to that kindness. 
An amazing verse. And I'm skipping over. Listen, you don't expect me to cover 765 verses today, do you? Thank you, brother. One of the amazing verses in the Bible about the heart is when when Israel got set up and when he was dealing with them, he came to one of the kings of Israel and said this. This reveals God and His nature. He said, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. The whole earth. Not just the nation of Israel. The whole earth. He said, He says, To show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. And this is one of the amazing things about the hand of God. God looks upon the heart. We look on the outside. Have you ever made the statement because you observe somebody's attitude and actions and said, well, his heart's not in it? His heart's just not in it. Now, that can be true about his work. That means you're really not motivated, are you? You're not going the extra mile. There's no energy there, but you do your duty. And sometimes you do have to do your duty till your heart gets back in it. Sometimes that has, occurs in a marriage. You don't bail out of a marriage because your heart is no longer in it. You work at it until your heart gets back in it. That's what you do. And so the Lord wants my heart to be engaged with Him. I want you to think about the very heart of the message of the gospel. I want you to turn with me to the New Testament for just a moment to Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter number 10. I want you to think about God's, how He initiated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And now the Bible says that how can a person know that And how can they respond to that unless they hear that? And so God then calls men and and women, not talking about women, preachers and evangelists, but I'm talking about witnesses and soul winners, and says, I need you to tell them how beautiful are the feet of them that carry the message and the gospel of peace. Romans, excuse me, Ephesians 6 says, part of, the, part of the armor of God is you having your feet shed with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That is, the, the heart of the gospel is after the hearts of men. That's really what it is. It's after the hearts of men. But one of the reasons of the purpose of the Holy Ghost is to convict men of their sin of unbelief and of judgment and of righteousness, of their lack of it. 
And so when the gospel comes and somebody tells us about God and tells us about Jesus Christ and tells us about what the Bible says about us and how we are sinful, and we agree, if our heart is true, meaning if we have some good soil that we haven't hammered the heart to where it no longer works correctly, that we've deceived ourselves and everybody else around us, if there's still some, some sincerity and integrity to it, when the soil then has that seed planted in it, and it responds to that light. It's amazing to me what God can do to the heart and to change that man and to help him and to make him a new creature. The Holy Spirit has been sent to do that. An example of that would be the Ethiopian eunuch who in his, in his religious activities had gone to Jerusalem responding to the light that he had because he had heard about the God of Israel and he was there worshiping and he came back and somebody gave him a track out of the book of Isaiah and he's reading that track. And he's reading it in his car. And he's reading it and he says, I don't understand all this. But God is looking upon that man's heart. Now if he had taken that track and watered it up, Brother Zach, and just threw it out, do you think maybe that God then would have called Philip to go see him? But he's reading it. And he says, man, I wonder what this really does mean. I had a man one time in Franklin tell me one time he went out in his backyard. He had been raised around Mormons and people like that. He wasn't a Mormon, but he'd been around them. Didn't know God. He said one night he went out in his backyard and looked up in the sky and said, Lord, he said, how am I ever going to know you or find the truth? That's what he told him. And it wasn't long he was managing a sonic. It wasn't long that one of the guys in our church, he, he, he delivered bread for like Wonder Bread, one of them places. And he was delivering the buns there. And he says, hey man, gave him a track and told him to listen to our radio broadcast. It wasn't long he visited our church. And after, I don't know, maybe several weeks of attending, I remember Cindy and I were sitting at the table for lunch for, for, for the kids were sitting around the table. It was, it was a Sunday. Everybody had left church and we were fixing to eat our lunch and then somebody knocked on the door. And he's standing there at the door and his lips quivering. And he's asking, he's wanting to know, you know, if he could be saved. And so after he got saved... He said, do you think the Lord knew that this was going to happen? And I said, well, let me just say you didn't sneak up on him today, all right? You didn't sneak up on him today. But I'm saying that when God looks upon the heart of a man, do you know the book of Jeremiah says that God tries the reins of the heart? To see which way a man wants to go. Do you know that? Do you know if there's a man in New Guinea and he's looking up in the creation and he's saying, Man, I wonder, I wonder, whoever you are, you're great, but how can I ever know you? Do you think God sees that heart? Do you think God cares enough about that heart that He might even call a missionary who stumbles his way through deputation and finds his way to the backside of a mountain and there's a guy right there that is interested in hearing the gospel? you think God knows that? I serve a great God who reads the hearts of all men. And that Ethiopian eunuch sitting there reading that track and God deals with a preacher and says, Son, I want you to leave there and I want you to go there. And he goes. He sees this guy reading this track and he goes up to him and says, Hey man, you understand what you're reading? 
That's kind of an insult, really, I guess you might say, if somebody asked us that. But that guy looked at it. He didn't respond with pride. He said, how can I, except some man guide me? He said, get up here in the chariot. Get up in my chariot and talk to me. What did he preach to him? That's exactly what he preached to him. And when you preach Jesus, you're talking about revealing the love of God to man. According to 1 John 4, in this was manifested the love of God. That God sent forth His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is love. And there He preached to Him Christ. And then He said, well, what hinders me from being baptized? And that was a great question. What hinders me from being baptized? After He heard the message, what is hindering me from getting baptized? What a great answer He gave Him. He said, if thou believest with all thine heart, with all thine heart. That's why it's dangerous to get somebody to simply repeat a prayer so that you can say that you led somebody to Christ when their heart is not in what you're doing. God is after their heart. Now let's look at Romans 10 real quick and I'll show you what I mean by that. Okay? Are y'all still with me? Okay, good. Because I ain't going nowhere. I hope you'll stay put for just a few more minutes. Romans chapter number 10. Notice this is so powerful and so important as God looks upon the heart. And I think too that our hearts need to be right about this matter and caring about the souls of men. We saw that in Brother Carl Miller last Sunday morning. Man, we saw a man whose heart was after sinners. What a blessing he was. Verse 1, brethren. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. My question for you is, could you take that word Israel out, Brother Brad, and put somebody's name there? Could you put a person's name right there that you're praying for? Verse 2, I bear them record. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. That's a proud heart. Verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Let's skip down for sake of time. But verse 6 says, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? Talking about the scriptures. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, and in thy what? Thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that's one of the gates, and shalt believe in thine heart, there's the castle, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Did you know that if you'll open your ear gate and let the Word of God come into your castle and you call upon the name of the Lord, that God will go past all those other gates to come to live inside your castle. And he says in verse 9, he said, Thou shalt be saved. Verse 10, For with the heart of man, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Can the heart believe? Yes, it can. With the heart man believeth. Have you ever said to anybody, I believe that with all my heart? Hmm? 
You ever said that before? I believe that with all my heart. You were saying with all your might, with all your being, with all your mind, with all your will, with everything that's in you, you say, I believe that. It's, it's like you've committed yourself to that. And he said, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's an amazing passage of Scripture. And when God does this into a person's heart, this is, this is again, I don't mean to overstate this, this, this phrase about being amazing. But according to Galatians chapter number 4, around verse number 6, when you do this, God saves you, grants you the power to become a child of God. Because you believed on Him with all your heart. Okay? Now, Brother Peyton, when that happens, the Bible says in Galatians 4, verse number 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit into your hearts. So that's the castle. He comes to live inside the castle. Now that you're born again child of God, He now comes inside. Now He's there to help you with the control tower. With the eye gate, the ear gate, the tongue gate. He's there to help you control all of those of what comes in and what goes out. He's there inside of you to help you to rearrange the furniture inside that castle and what needs to leave. And so this morning, to you as a child of God, if you're not a child of God and you're you're watching or if you're in, in prison and you're listening to this and you've never given your heart to Christ, today would be a great day for you to open up your heart and say, God, with all my heart, I believe that Jesus Christ came to die for me. And with all my heart, I believe the record you have left of your son, that you raised him from the dead for my justification. I call upon thee to save me from my sins, for I cannot do this on my own. And as a child of God now, what God wants from me, where is it? Here's point A. Now he saved me and changed my heart. Where does he want to take me? What does he want to do with that heart? Well, according to what Paul wrote to Timothy, he said the end of the commandment, meaning where we want to go from here to here, the end, the goal, the goal is that there might be in you charity out of a pure heart. So, when He saved you, according to Romans chapter 5, around verse 4 and 5, He says, They shed abroad in your heart the love of God by the power of the Holy Ghost. Now He's got to work on that heart to change you, that control tower, so that when people bump into you, they see the love of God in you and coming out of you. Charity out of a pure heart. Well, the problem is, my heart gets crusty. Is yours? I need two things to happen here. One's my responsibility. The other one is God's. The Scripture says, I am to keep my heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I'm to keep my heart. I'm to watch what... what I'm, I'm to guard my heart. But according to Philippians chapter number 4, Brother Dwayne, if when I start becoming careful and anxious and stressed out and worried and fretful, 
He said, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Prayer is for me praying for my needs. Supplication is me praying for your needs. Prayer is for me. Supplication is for you. He said by, let me start over that. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let my request be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding, he says this, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Meaning, that if I will humble myself and cast my cares upon the Lord, now I'm guarding my heart and I can tell things are not getting, they're not, things are not going good in there. I'm going to need some grace and I need some help. I'm troubled about some things. I need some help. So if I give that back to God and I call out to God for some help, He says, okay, I'm going to be like a shepherd that keeps his sheep. I'm going to come in and I'm going to guard you. I'm going to help you because you gave me that heart back to me and I'm going to help you with this. Because you can't do it all by yourself. He said, I will keep your hearts and minds. I'll keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And He will help me with His grace and His peace and His guidance. And I need my heart. I want my heart to stay tender. Do you know the book of Hebrews warns you about three times in Hebrews chapter 3, Brother Scott? Do you know it warns you? Do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. Do not harden it. Don't let it, don't let it, don't, don't do that. Don't harden your heart. You say, well, how do you know if I'm, how, how can I tell if it's getting hard? Well, you probably could ask the people around you. Because there's one big thing that's going to show up and it's going to be your selfishness. There's two things that will show up in a heart that's starting to get hard. Number one will be bitterness. That will show up in your words and your actions. The other one's going to be your heart backslides on God. According to the book of Proverbs, the backslider in heart, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. It is when you are self-willed and it's all about you and you the one that has to be pleased, not God, not His Word, it's you. It's about you. Regardless of the consequences that it brings upon everybody else, it's you first. Me, 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 me. You're a me, me bird. It's all about me. Because your heart has gotten bitter or hard or... Listen, it's easy to do. Especially when hardships come and heartaches come. Disappointments come. People treat you bad. That's easy to do. Sometimes your heart, your physical heart's going to give you some trouble. And you can sense that there's something wrong with it. So you go and have somebody else try to check it out and fix it. Sometimes you're not even aware that there's some issues. But you're humble enough to allow somebody to check it out anyhow. And then they find the problem that there's... You, did you, are you aware that this is going on? It's good. That's why the Bible says... 
this is so important, and I, I want to help you so much. I want you to turn to one more passage. We'll go to the house. Turn to Psalm 73 real quick. Psalm 73. When you start to doubt the Word of God, the love of God, the providence of God, you begin to harden your heart, you'll begin to drift. And you won't even know it. You won't even be aware that you're slipping. But it'll show up. It'll, sh- it'll show up. You're going to miss some great blessings if you let that heart get hard. You won't be able to go into that land of victory. Because you're, you're no longer mixed faith with what you hear. That heart's got to stay tender. Somebody said you had to have hide like an alligator and a heart like a lamb. Hide like an alligator. Heart like a lamb. The people that hurt you the most are probably the people that know you the best. Probably the people that you go to church with. Might even be the people you go home with. It won't always be the guy at work. It'll be the people you know. And the Lord wants you to be an overcomer. Keep that heart tender. You watch a kid's heart. It starts getting hard. He closes the ear gate. When the, when the castle is no longer under control by the Holy Spirit, when it comes to spiritual things, the heart says, close that gate over there. I'm not listening to that preaching anymore. But now if it's a bunch of junk, open that up. Man, I like that stuff. If it's a movie, if it's a video game, if it's gossip, open that gate wide. I love that stuff. But when your heart gets hard, and you come to church, have a hard time. Let that gate down, not receiving it. That heart gets harder. Look in Psalm 73. We'll look at this and then we'll go. I, I beg you to listen carefully. I beseech you. I like to use the word beseech. It's a Bible word. I beseech you. Look at this. Now, verse number 1 of Psalm 73 You'll notice the word heart. Truly God is good to Israel. We all say amen. Even to such as are of a clean heart. There's the word clean heart. Look at it in verse 13. He said, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain. Look at verse 21. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. Look at verse 26. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart. Well, something happened here, this guy. This is Asaph. He's hanging around the house of God. He's responsible for, he's our brother Jason. He's leading the singing and he's leading the choir. And you can be involved in all those things and your heart still get crusty. You start going through the motions because something's happened to you. And usually, and, and listen, what happened to him was, is he let some stuff in the eye gate, and the heart didn't kick it out. He started mulling it over. Thinking about it, looking at it too much. Your eye will affect your heart. 
Look what he said. You'll notice, boy, this is good. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such of her a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Now his feet were still there. But then they're in slippery places. Why? Because in verse number 3, he became envious. Which means he was ungrateful for what he had. Dissatisfied and discontent with where he was. And didn't feel like God was being fair. He sees how other people seem to be getting away with bad stuff. You know, that's really hard for a teenager to watch when they do what's right. And it seems like that they're having a hard time and then they see other kids doing stupid stuff and sinful stuff and it seems like they get away with it. But nobody gets away with it. Now they may get by with it for a while, but they'll never get away with it. But that's hard for a young person to comprehend. The older you get, sometimes you think the same thing. This is not a kid. And you'll notice he says here that he makes it very, 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 very clear to us that he's getting bitter about this. Verse 12, he says, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. And he said, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. That's a bitter statement. God, I've, I've served you. And Lord, you ain't doing me right. You say, well, I don't say anybody could say that. Well, just hang on. Just hang on. When Joseph resisted temptation with a whorish woman, you would have think that God would have elevated him to the throne the next day. But God allowed him to go to prison after doing what is right. And it was in God's timing to elevate him. Not yours, not mine. But God will pay you back for doing good. You won't outgood God. And he said in verse 14, he's feeling sorry for himself for all the day long if I've been plagued. And I doubt that. And chastened every morning. And I doubt that. That's an overstatement. That's overkill. Well, nothing good ever happens to me. Nothing ever works out for me. I want to have bad luck. That's all I have. If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Remember that hee-haw song, don't you? You older folks. It ain't as bad as you think it is. And then you can go around saying, well, it's just going to get worse. Cheer up. Just going to get worse. Dear Lord. He said in verse 15, if I'm going to tell you what I'm really thinking, I'm going to hurt some people, so I'm just going to keep it inside. He said, if I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. He said, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. He's having heartaches. This is real. Verse 17 says, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Boy, going to the house of God will help your heart. Some of you, you'll spend extra time looking for the best cardiologist you can find. And you won't spend five minutes looking for the best pastor or preacher you can find. 
You think about that. You think about that. Would just any heart doctor do? Look at this. He said in verse number 31, he said, Lord, in verse number 20, he says, man, I was like in a dream. And man, it's like, God, you just slapped me and I woke up. Verse number 21 says, thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my range. That's the conscience. That's being feeling guilty. Is it okay for the heart to feel guilty? Is it all right for the heart to condemn itself? I hope mine never stops. Verse 22 says, So foolish was Zion, ignorant I was as a beast before thee. Lord, he said, I'm just an idiot. So he gets right with God. He said in verse number 25, he says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? Verse 26, My flesh and my heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion. And you'll notice in verse 28, But it is good for me to do what? To draw near to God. This morning, some of you need to draw nigh to God. I need God to fix my heart. Now listen, the Bible, the psalmist said, Brother Stout, he said, my heart is fixed. My heart is fixed in the things of God. But sometimes it needs fixing again. <laughs> now listen, this will help you. You say, well, how can I, how can I, it was David that got right with God and he said, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Man, I, I just need God sometimes to wash me and cleanse me and forgive me and renew my heart. So how do you maintain this? I've told you before and I'll tell you again. Give God the first part of every day. Give it to Him. Spend some time with Him in the morning. It tenderizes the heart. Give Him the first day of the week. Commit yourself. So even if your heart's not in it, go anyway and God will fix that heart. Give Him the first thought of every major decision that you make. And get some people in your life who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Whose heart is in it. I'm not looking to ask somebody to pray for me whose heart is not in it. I got some good men and women in this congregation that I can call up because I know their heart's in this thing. Amen? Their heart's in it. Is your heart in it? Let's stand together, please. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Cindy, would you please come to the piano for just a second? If you're drawn out of God, He'll draw out of you. Lord, help me. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you this morning to help your children. Thank you, Lord, for the liberty. But Lord, most of all, I pray that the Word of God would find a place in our hearts and minds, our spirits. That our hearts would not be bitter nor backslidden, but rather burdened for others and for your will in Jesus' name. Our heads bowed. Would you come?